Adventure Seekers Welcome, Jedi, Ninja, and Wizards Tolerated. Hello, I'm your host, Rain Law. Coming up next is today's quote. No one can get inner peace by pouncing on it. Harry Emerson Fosdick. If you would like to support this podcast, you can sell your blood. Or failing that, you can pledge a gift on anchor.fn ran-law. Another way you can support if you have some loose change is you can go to my Patreon page, www.patreon.com. It's time for AJNW News, and today's top story is on beating the odds. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. Do you know the percentages of beating the odds? I know by now you do or at least you're familiar with them. The chances of flopping a royal flush is virtually impossible. While the chances of winning the lottery is roughly 1 in 300 million in the United States of America today, it is far more likely that in the course of your lifetime that you will be struck by lightning. Last time I heard this percentage was somewhere around 1 in 15,300 for being struck by lightning. That is based on your chances in an 80-year lifetime. These figures are calculated not on death or the survival rate, but merely on the possibility of being struck. So this includes the possibility of being hit and injured or walking away from lightning strike. You have far greater odds of earning a black belt in one of the Eastern martial arts. They say for every 10,000 people that join a martial arts system, only one will achieve the skills and proficiency deemed necessary for what we envision of being a black belt is about. That is a great improvement on your chances of a lightning and the lottery. That, of course, is not referring to the hordes of students that join a school that guarantees a black belt after a set amount of years and or money has been spent. What I'm talking about here is a person that has the ability to walk away from a fight but is still capable of incapacitating, maiming, or killing an attacker with a single move. It doesn't matter if this movement is a joint lock, throw, or any kick, punch, or any other strike. This also could include the ability to do the same with any hand-to-hand weapon found in this type of system. So, we are not talking about someone who joins a dojo and quits after three years of training, which is the average length of time it takes to become a first-degree black belt in most systems today. That is, if you're very dedicated On the other hand, many schools require six or seven years of dedication for this nomenclature of being a black belt. Still, many people who reach this level drop out after 15 years or so because of ordinary struggles in life. These could include time, money, personal injuries, and or family hardships. Even so, many of these people that quit attending a school of martial arts because of these reasons are forever transformed in their outlook on life. 
Yet there is an even smaller percentage of individuals that adhere to the martial arts as a way of life. This exclusive group of dedicated devotees are more like one in one million. However, one in one million still isn't that unheard of in a world of billions. Of course, there are other percentages to take in consideration. For example, what is the chances of walking away from a hit-and-run accident, then falling off a cliff, or being knocked or thrown off of moving vehicles and or jumping off of a four-story building may seem near impossible. The same is true about being shot or walking away from a motorcycle accident after getting to a stop on your feet. The chances of having lightning strikes pass to either side of you or a tornado skipping over your head without touching down would also qualify as an oddity. What would the chances be if a person was forced into child labor working anywhere from 12 to 18 hours a day for a worldwide oligarchy? On top of this, you might conclude being abducted by a UFO or having secret societies or shadow government contacts also trying to control you somewhat rare. So, if you really want to hedge your bets, the odds would become very narrow if you calculated the percentages for all of these things happening to a handful of people. It takes years of hard work to overcome the physical and emotional traumas of these types of experiences. Nonetheless, these elements were part of my first-hand experiences and they served as a catalyst in formulating characters in my Mystic Dreamwalker book series. Coming up next, AJNW weather. Today, the weather has been frosty. In the morning, followed by warming sunshine. It must be fall. Now for the traffic report here at AJNW News. Looking out the window, I can see no one on the road. But off in the distance, I can hear a truck. So, traffic is normal. Now, on to sports at AJNW News. Bicycling is catching on again here in our household. I took a brief 50-year sabbatical from biking after a hit-and-run accident some 50-odd years ago. All right, well, maybe it wasn't 50-odd years. It was approaching 50 years, though. The accident bent my bike in half and flipped me end over end multiple times. It was almost like going to the state fair and getting on the tilt-a-whirl ride for free. So in that time, I went from a single-gear bike to now a 21-speed. That's taken a little bit of adjustment, too. Hopefully, I will be able to get into some bicycle backpacking soon. We've had a host of questions for Sensei, so on his question-and-answer segment, he will answer these confidential questions in order. Yes, no, maybe, possibly, not even with a 10-foot pole or a 6-foot Czechoslovakian. Now it's time for a haiku from Sensei here at AJNW News. The haiku is entitled, Bike, Remote Natal Day, a Blue Bicycle Racing, Rider in the Breeze. Coming up next is 
an introduction to Book 5 from the Mystic Dreamwalker series entitled Jace Lee, No Agenda. Chapter 1. Drifter What do you think? asked the young Hispanic probationary officer in the driver's seat of the cruiser. He was sporting a recently groomed mustache that he was continually reaching up to smooth into place. The training officer merely looked at him and twirled her left index finger indicated that she wanted him to light him up. The probationary officer briefly toggled his lights on until the man on the sidewalk turned his head back over his shoulder to see what was going on. The man turned sideways to face the street and stopped in place waiting for the officers to exit the vehicle as it pulled up to the curb and stopped. The training officer called in on the radio reporting that they were checking on a suspicious character. The probationary officer held his tongue until this training officer had finished her transmission on the radio. He then pointed out that the fellow didn't match the description at all, to which his partner replied, Blue jeans, a hat, and dark t-shirt sounds close enough to me. The probationary officer knew it would not do him any good to complain further. He knew that his training officer was relying on her gut instinct again. It didn't matter that this fellow was not Hispanic-looking or wearing a red ball cap. The guy that they stopped was too light-skinned to match the earlier description. To young Officer Mendez, the fellow looked like he was a mix between Japanese and Caucasian. Then, on the other hand, he might have been part Native American. He was just guessing about that since the young man on the sidewalk was wearing a cowboy hat. It was something that he had often noticed that many of the urban mixed-race Native American young men wore. The young man in his mid-twenties, dressed in white leather sneakers, faded blue jeans, a blue t-shirt with a superhero character plastered on it, raised his hands to adjust his brilliantly white woven fabric cowboy hat. The training officer, seeing the man on the sidewalk, raise his hands up to lift his hat and run his hand across his head, jostling the medium-length brown hair, made her think that he was reaching for a weapon. Show me your hands, said the officer as she exited the police cruiser drawing her weapon. Good evening, officers, said the young man with a white cowboy hat as he held his arms out to the sides with his hands raised to his face level with his palms facing out to the officer. The female training officer nodded to her probationary partner as she uttered the order for him to cuff the suspect. Officer Mendez holstered his pistol as he walked behind the young man, who was approximately the same age as himself, and he began his cuffing routine. He watched both the man he was cuffing and his partner, who had moved off at an angle so that so that if she was forced to shoot, the bullet would not strike him. As he brought the young man's hands behind his back, he put the steel bracelets on his wrist. Officer Mendez informed him that he was not being placed under arrest, but was merely being detained, handcuffed, for officer safety. Once the second bracelet was attached and ratcheted into place, Officer Mendez 
locked the handcuffs in position so that they would not cause nerve damage by tightening on the wrist. All the time that he was going through this procedure, the young man in the white cowboy hat asked why he was being detained and informed the two officers that he did not consent to a search of his personal property. The training officer informed him that Officer Mendez was merely performing a pat-down for officer safety. This conversation continued with the man in the white cowboy hat insisting that his constitutional rights be observed, and he again requested to know why he was being detained. He also refused to give his name and repeatedly asked if he was free to go or if he was being detained. He also asked both officers for their names and badge numbers. The training officer informed him that her name was T. Powell. She asked if he was going to be one of those pain-in-the-neck drug dealers that was going to claim that the pants that he had on were not his own when they found drugs in them. The man in the white hat asked if he was being held under suspicion of selling drugs, and he asked why they had detained him. What had he done to warrant being stopped? Officer Powell informed him that walking down the sidewalk at 2.30 in the morning was sufficient reason for them to detain him. She also mentioned that he fit the description of a suspect. This caused the man in the white cowboy hat to request that they tell him the description of the person they were after. When Officer Powell's description did not match his description, they argued back and forth for a few minutes while Officer Mendez finished his safety pat-down. Officer Mendez had stopped frisking the young man when his right hand came in contact with the metal clip attached to the right hand front pocket of the jeans of the man in the white hat. It was at this point that Officer Mendez asked if his suspect was carrying a weapon. The man in the white hat acknowledged that he was carrying a legal pocket knife, which Officer Mendez retrieved and handed to his training officer to inspect. It was a hey-ho pocket knife produced by CRKT. She asked why he was carrying such a deadly weapon, and he replied that it was perfectly legal for him to carry the knife and then added it had been a gift from his brother-in-law. She had not liked his response or his attitude, and she had Officer Mendez search his pockets. The man in the white hat continued to protest the illegal search. They found nothing else on him other than four folded $100 bills, one $50 bill, one $20 bill, and 17 cents in change. There was no wallet or ID of any type to be found on his person, not even inside of the white hat, which Officer Powell removed and searched. During their procedure, a call came in over the radio announcing that the patrol car two blocks over had apprehended the suspect matching the description that Officer Powell had used to stop their suspect. It was at this point that their suspect again asked if he was being arrested or if he was free to go. Officer Powell asked what he was doing with $470 in his pocket in the middle of the night with no identification carrying a deadly weapon. The man in the cowboy hat merely repeated his question and insisted that he was 
legally within his rights to carry the knife with him. Officer Mendez silently urged his partner back to the cruiser with a nod of his head as he uncuffed the suspect, wishing him a good evening. Officer Powell tossed the $470 she was holding into the white cowboy hat, which she thrust back into the hands of the now free suspect. Where's my knife? And I would like your cards for identification, said the man, as he put his white hat back on and counted his money before returning it to his pocket. Both officers ignored his request, and Officer Powell announced that she could still arrest him for not producing identification and withholding his name besides carrying a concealed weapon. She said this as she was getting ready to step inside of the cruiser door, and the man in the white hat invited her to do so if she wanted her department sued. With this verbal threat, she stepped back up onto the sidewalk, walking a few steps toward the man in the white hat. She displayed the pocket knife in front of him as he held up his hands defensively. If you want your knife, come and get it, she said. Then seeing the man in the cowboy hat stepping backward, she tossed the closed knife into the grassy area in between the sidewalk and the adjacent parking lot. She turned back toward the cruiser as her partner closed his door while sliding into the driver's seat. The man in the white hat bent forward to retrieve his blade from the grass and, as he clipped the handle onto his pants pocket, he stared intently at the abusive officer that he, that he had identified as T. Powell. As she took her next step off the curb, reaching for the door handle, she seemed to lose her balance and fall forward, hitting her face against the cross space separating the front door area from the rear door. She hit with a solid thump, and she cursed aloud while immediately turning to see if the man in the cowboy hat had done something. She had hoped that she could blame him for her misfortune, but the distance between them was too great. Besides the fact he had already turned his back and was walking away from them, she had hoped that he hadn't seen this act of instant karma. She briefly entertained the notion about the possibility that this might have been actually, that this might just have actually been what it seemed to be. Even so, she dismissed it. She could not see the slight smile crossing the face of the man in the white hat. Come back next week to hear more from Book 5, Jace Lee, No Agenda. I hope you like these little introductions to the books. My email is rand at rand-lawrence and my webpage www.rand-lawrence.com. I highly recommend martial art instruction. Everything I do has been influenced by the martial arts. I have no weapons, but a weapon can be made. Knowledge over power. Tokushi Kimpo. Keep following your dreams.